if you do any prospecting with LinkedIn, you have got to go get set up with Surf. That's S-U-R-F-E. It's a tool you can use to add new contacts to your CRM system directly from LinkedIn in seconds. I'm using it every single day. I add contacts, follow my deals, keep track of notes, and it ends up saving me a bunch of time on prospecting and outreach, which means I can spend more time moving my deals along. The data is always 100% accurate since I don't have to copy and paste all the fields over from each and every contact that I want to put in my CRM. Instead, Surf does that all automatically with just one click in about 60 seconds. The team over at Surf has put together a very special offer for fans of sales players. There's a link down in the show notes and you can use the promo code JWSURF5. Don't forget the E at the end of Surf. That's JWSURF5 for 5% off your first year. Don't spend another minute doing things manually. Go get set up with Surf. All right, we've got a really great guest lined up for today. His name is Patrick Parker, and no, he's not Spider-Man. That's Peter Parker. Anyhow, uh, Patrick is the CEO of SaaSpartners.io. Essentially, SaaS Partners is a portfolio of a number of different SaaS companies. And why this is an interesting conversation is Patrick's coming in from a leadership standpoint, uh, having now scaled and grown about, I think he said about five different SaaS startups over the course of the last few years. And today's conversation was centered around what are some of the, the things that are making those SaaS companies successful? He said that it really comes down to a few formulas uh, that are consistent across almost any SaaS business for growth and scalability. And so uh, he gets into some more details. We talk a little bit about uh, some of the ways that he coaches the reps across those different SaaS companies. And last but not least, it sounds like he's hiring. So definitely someone worth connecting to if you're wanting to get a foot into the SaaS industry, if you're wanting to learn a couple of the repeatables that happen across any SaaS business, you're going to love this episode. So welcome, Patrick, to the SaaS Sales Players. All right, and we're live. Patrick, welcome to SaaS Sales Players. Jesse, thanks for having me. How is it? Oh, it's pretty good today. Uh, Monday morning, as best as you can be on a Monday morning. I hear that. So uh, I always like to get started with learning a little bit about who my guests are, how they got started in their career journeys. And the first thing I noticed about you is, are you in Louisville? Is that right? I'm in Lexington. Yeah. Lexington, sorry. In, yeah, Lexington for about the last decade, man, which is uh, not historically a, uh, a tech hub by any means, but right. being with uh, University of Kentucky and a couple other great universities, they do have a lot of uh, tech talent and it is a great place to uh, start a business in the United States because of cost of living and so many other uh, economic advantages of, of being here in the, the bluegrass state. So one of the focuses on my show is so far is I like to interview people that are not in the coastal cities, the tech hubs. I love hearing oh. about SaaS professionals that made their SaaS careers work in places like Lexington or Indianapolis or where I am, Phoenix, Arizona, Montana. I've had a lot of great colleagues in Bozeman, Montana. So yeah. uh, I love, <clears throat> excuse me, I love hearing that. And uh, yeah, tell us how you kind of got started in, in SaaS and, and sales specifically. Yeah, so my, my background was in, in technology. I, I took a, a kind of pragmatic approach all the way back in school and, and looked at, hey, what are the, the top 25 best paying careers? And most of them were tech. I knew I didn't want to be a doctor, couldn't stay in the blood, uh, didn't want to spend the time uh, to be an engineer and have to learn too much math. So I got to things that I was good at, which were design uh, and software development. And so I, I made a career out of it early on. I worked for uh, Big Four Consulting, 
working with uh, some major Fortune 500 clients, uh, doing health tech implementations primarily, and a lot of other kind of uh, HR type system rollouts, things like that. Uh, there were some large scale projects. And it was one of those things where I realized very early on that there was just a better way to do it. Right. right. You know, we're, we're ending up, we're delivering these $180 million projects and we've got customers, we've got clients, we've got end users that just don't know how the systems function. Mm-hmm. Um, there was no, you know, human centered approach taken to it. So they weren't included until the very end of the process. And it was like, okay, based on the requirements you gave us, which you probably didn't understand at the time, here's what we developed for you. Now try and go figure out how to use it. Right. Right. And so I, I kind of looked around, I had some other friends that, that, you know, cared, shared that same notion. And, and so we, we stepped away and, and uh, started our own business. Uh, so we do uh, software as a service consulting, we do development, uh, but we started on that uh, pure dev side, building stuff for clients, and then ultimately started a, a studio model, which is where we basically, whenever we have developers that are not working on active projects, we start building our own projects. Uh, and so we've, at this point, I've founded uh, five different SaaS companies, Wow. I'm doing over a, a million in revenue. So they're all killing it. And we found that there are some very specific tasks and activities and things of that nature that are, are easily replicatable uh, from a process and, mm-hmm. and from a product perspective uh, across pretty much in any industry. And so that's the, the kind of fast pace that we're at now and, and just kind of growing out of, of every end and, and having a lot of fun doing it. Are they all in, so all, all these businesses, are they in the same category or would you say they're, they're, they vary uh, in different categories within SaaS? Yeah, all, all different industries. Um, so, I mean, we're doing everything from like uh, communications, like enterprise communication side, we're doing stuff mm-hmm. on the healthcare side, we're doing stuff. Uh, one of the big things that we do that probably resonates with this group, we do a lot of LinkedIn automation. So we've got a, oh, cool. a LinkedIn automation SaaS that's that's in market that helps with outreach and and outbounding. Um, but but it's kind of all over. And of course, being here in Kentucky, we had to to build something host uh, horse owners of the world. So we've got a, <laughs> no a software way. as a service platform that uh, that is geared towards racehorses. Yeah. That is awesome. That that I mean, that is uniquely like the, the only other thing that would make that more Kentucky is something for bourbon makers or something like that. All right, we're, <laughs> we're trying to get into it. We just need the right partner for it. That's awesome. Shout out. What's the what's the name of the SaaS for LinkedIn automation? I'm actually genuinely curious because I've been looking for something like that. Sure. It's called LinkBridge and it's getlinkbridge.com. Okay. And it's uh it's very different from a lot of the other ones. So we spend a lot of time, one of the biggest concerns is around uh security. Right. Mm-hmm. So, so many of those products are having issues with getting your account banned. You're literally getting banned from LinkedIn because they don't like how people are abusing those systems to basically make yeah. it extremely spammy. Right. So, something that we have a huge focus on uh, with that product in particular uh, is around teaching the actual foundational principles of social selling. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, diving into someone's inbox with a cold email that may work for 1% of your extremely high intent people. But if you're just spraying and praying, then you're probably getting terrible results, right? But if you have very 
specific targets and you have uh, conversations or lead-ins that are, are more organic in nature, then you're going to get better responses. You're going to be able to quickly build authentic relationships. And then you're going to be able to determine, does this person even need the product that I'm trying to push, right? And I think that's a step that a lot of people just try to skip going for that, that quick sale, right? So, you know, we have a, a big emphasis on actually teaching people the right way to do it. So we always say, in addition to our product, you're also going to walk away with the masters in LinkedIn because we're actually going to teach you how to use the, the platform to benefit from. That's really cool. That was my first question because I've used a few widgets in the past for LinkedIn sourcing and, and building my mm -hmm. prospecting lists, but I've always danced with the, am I going to get my account banned? I have, you know, 10,000 connections on LinkedIn at this point yeah. and a bunch of saved leads. And this is, this is like, it's a moneymaker, right? It's, it's part of how I make my living is using LinkedIn as a seller. And I've always been a little bit nervous about, <clears throat> pardon me, using some of those tools that, that risk getting your account locked uh, you know, locked down or something from LinkedIn. So that's really cool to yep. hear that. And I love the enablement component too. It's not just a software tool. It's how to use it, how to implement it, how to make it successful on the prospecting front. So it's not just a widget. It's, it's a full sort of platform with uh, enablement involved. That's awesome. Yeah, and I think that's a piece of it, right? Is, is customer success, right? We spend so much time building that into not only the product, but all the processes around it as well. And, and that's why, like, if you look at across our portfolio of, of uh, client products and even our own portfolio of SaaS companies, like they all do well because we're so focused, we're obsessed with customer mm -hmm. success, right? So making sure that our customers actually receive that value proposition that they're paying for. Right. Um, I mean, we have net negative churn literally across the board for that reason. So it's, that's awesome. Yeah. So walk me through, you know, being in Lexington, I don't know how many VCs or tech VCs are out in the area. If it's anything like my city, there's not very many. Yeah. Uh, how did you guys, if you guys bootstrap these businesses, are they, are they funded? Uh, talk to us a little bit about how someone like yourself can go out and start several SaaS companies and grow Absolutely. those to, you know, a million plus in ARR. That's the beautiful thing. And, and so what I always tell people is, so we're a software development company first, Right. And so we grew literally started with me and uh, three other guys. We were software architects uh, and engineers. We started working on client projects. Mm -hmm. And then we picked up a, a couple of other big projects that basically helped us pay for everything else we wanted to do. So the margins in, in development are, are really strong. Um, but it's one of those things where as the team grew and we were waiting know, or had projects in the pipeline that were waiting to close, we had ideas and we, we basically saw a couple of needs that each of our clients had, right? Um, may not be something they were building in their platform, but something that was tangential to, you know, kind of what their mission was or a tool that they needed in order to, to kind of keep moving things forward. Um, and so we built the first couple with, with that in mind. And so we basically just took developers that I'm already paying a salary that weren't working mm -hmm. on a project. Like instead of just letting that go to waste, let's right. actually start building our, our own stuff, which that had always been my intention, right, is to to bootstrap, to find uh, the revenue or find the, the the margins in there so that we could actually invest in some of that stuff and then continue to, to scale it out. And I mean, the, the biggest thing about that is with the approach that we take, where we literally have experts from, you know, kind of every functional and, and uh, every functional domain within SaaS, we have people that can quickly scale up teams. And so what happens is a lot of times I'll have like my VP of sales mm -hmm. will go start up a new business, right? Oh, or wow. I'll have like my VP of marketing that is helping across 
multiple companies and then ultimately will hire uh, into it. So it's something yeah. where, yeah, we're, we're, we always love to promote from within. So we, we started, like I said, with, with four, we've got uh, 35 here in the States. We opened up a, a new headquarters last year in, in India. And now we've got almost 200 developers uh, sitting out in, in India, banging away too. So, you know, wow. I, I think that's a, a big competitive advantage for us is anytime we want to build something, it's very, very quick to build and very, inexpensive for us too. So, you know, that's how we're able to do it uh, so quickly and, and at the scale that we're, we're playing at now. That's a, yeah, that's a really great economy of scale to be able to just sort of turn a key and, and start another yeah. one because you've already got the, the trained resources and the ability to do it. Yeah. That is uh, that's a great model. Tell us a little bit, you mentioned earlier that you've observed that there's several, or maybe you said five specifically repeatable, uh, you know, repeatable actions that, that kind of are consistent across every SaaS. Walk us through what a couple of those repeatable motions are in, in building out a, a SaaS startup. Sure. Yeah. And I, I think the first one, obviously from, from just the basic startup activities around organize, organizing around incorporation, around all the, the documentations, all the, the kind of multitude of steps that have to be taken just to become a company in the first place. Right. Mm -hmm. And now there's a, a bunch of great services out there that, that cut that timeline or that help facilitate all of that. So like a uh, first base.io is a great one for literally yeah. anyone that wants to start a business anywhere in the country, you can go to somewhere like first base and they basically have a, a checklist, right? So before they actually systematize that and built it out in SAS, that's a process mm -hmm. that we had in the end. It's like, okay, we want to start a new company. Here's what we need to do. Right. Yeah. Same thing <clears throat> from a product perspective. Uh, you talk about how to define your initial MVP, right? Mm -hmm. What uh, what features to actually include? A lot of people tend to go over the top and they tend to add more features than they need. Well, the problem right. is they haven't validated whether the, the market actually wants uh, the initial kind of base configuration or base MVP. And if that's something that's even sellable. So they, they mm -hmm. go all out and they build a product before even determining, is this a simple product? Is this a scalable product? Right. Can, I, can I build out processes uh, to actually continue to drive revenue into the foreseeable future, right? And so we're very big on focusing on what that MVP is, understanding the value of it, understanding how to package it up uh, and to, to bundle it and make it available for sale. So I think that's the second one. <clears throat> Once you have a product, and we'll get to that in a minute because I know that's the that's yeah. what your audience wants to hear about. But so after that, we focus on on customer success. We look at what the onboarding process looks like mm -hmm. because if you're going to have people churn, most of them are either going to be somewhere within that onboarding uh, process, or it's going to be because the lack of of customer success and support going forward. So. Third thing is always customer success. What does our onboarding look like? How can we ensure that the clients that we work so hard to acquire actually get the value that we have sold them on in the first place, right? right. As long as we can keep those customers, which are, are cheaper to acquire than the new customers, then, then we're in great shape, right? So you've got those three things. Uh, and then the, the next thing is marketing. So really understanding what audience you're marketing to, nailing those ICPs, and then really focusing on how to create uh, scalable go-to-market strategies. So what yeah. channels are you using? What audiences are you targeting? How are you segmenting your different lists? Uh, and then what mediums or touch points do you have? Creating content you know, all, around all different stages of the funnel. And then last is, is sales, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't say sales is last because usually we're doing a lot of this stuff in parallel. Sure. Um, 
but in order for the sales team to be successful, we need to be able to, to actually generate leads, right? So we need to have a combination of lead generation and demand generation. We're looking at a number of different ways. So you've got everything from organic to, to paid social to, to paid ads, display, whatever that may look like, all in the name of, of creating those at-bats that our, our sales folks so much love, right? right and then we right. also <clears throat> supplement that with, with tools like we have with, uh, with LinkBridge as well to where we're taking a lot of that SDR work and that manual outreach through uh, LinkedIn and across some other channels as well through our email marketing uh, and just making sure that those people have full pipelines, that they're actually mm -hmm. getting opportunities to, to, to close deal and, and grow revenues. And then we're actually providing them with the training that they need in the event that we're scaling up new teams and the oversight that they need uh, in the form of a, a mentor, a senior leader somewhere on the sales team that, that can give them feedback, right? So people that are, are reviewing those Zoom calls to see, hey, you shouldn't have said this, you should have said this instead, right? <laughs> yeah. So, just to get some coaching, right? Because there's so many things that, especially as a new salesperson, even words, you don't, you don't realize how strong and how negative some of the connotations for different words are, right? right? And so, you know, like the difference between contract, if I say, I'm going to send you a contract versus an agreement, there's things like that, that, yeah. you know, have little nuances, but that, that can literally make or break a deal. So doing a lot of education around that, doing a lot of coaching uh, and helping our salespeople improve. And then the other thing is I'm a big believer in not just uh, group quotas, which personally mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't love. It's great for team performance, but it's detrimental to your high performers, right? So we usually do a mix of individual plus group incentives. Mm -hmm. uh, that way we're not punishing the high performers for underperforming teammates. Um, I've seen so many organizations lose great salespeople uh, because they hadn't structured their compensation plans the right way. And what's so that, a, those are really the five things. Yeah. What's a, what's a group quota? I'm not sure if I'm familiar with that. Is that So, yeah, so usually you have a, a team quota, right? So if your team, for example, uh, say your team volumes to add 10,000 of new monthly recurring revenue uh, right. within a month, right? And if the team hits that quota, they all get a bonus. Okay. Right? Okay. And so most businesses, especially larger SaaS companies, they're all going to structure it from a team perspective. So usually you have a number of team members. And then as you're going in with those team members, uh, it's kind of your job to bring those people up. You have that group that's under you that you're managing. Your team hits. Everybody gets paid. They don't hit. Nobody gets oh, paid yeah. in a lot of cases. Okay. And that, that's the thing. It's like you can't neglect an individual effort. If, if somebody sold 8,000 in MRR and your other three team members didn't close a deal, you can't punish the one person that performed. Right. And that, that's yeah. the kind of the problem I have with it. So a lot of that is how you're, you're structuring that comp plan to make sure that you're taking care of your high performers and then also mm -hmm. rewarding group efforts too. Yeah. Fortunately, I don't think I've had that kind of quota. It's always been individual based. I mean, there's always been sort of the camaraderie yeah. of like, let's get the team to the team number, but yeah, I think that that model defies sort of Pareto's law, which is, you know, 20% of the reps are going to produce 80% of the results. 100%. Uh, so yeah, that that's super interesting. It's something um, you see with like uh, a lot like HubSpot does it. And it, and that's, it's one that kills me because we do a, a ton of business with HubSpot. And it's the same thing that we see with, with other reps there. They'll call at the end of the month. They're like, Hey, do you know anybody else? Cause my team's not going to hit. They're like, I, <laughs> I've got 80% of the revenue and it's the same thing. It's like, man, they're just trying to drag the other people across the line. But yeah, there, oh, there's a man. bunch of, a bunch of companies out there, especially the really? ARR plus that are, are doing it that way. 
Wow. I did not realize that. That's yeah, maybe something to avoid for the listeners, or at least ask yeah. the question during the interview, because I'm a big fan of you know you eat what you kill. Sales is, sales is that equalizer, right? It's it's if you're really really good at it, you should be compensated for your efforts and and skill set and all that stuff. So yeah, yep. I wasn't wasn't familiar with that, but but glad to get educated on something like that. Uh, so. We, we talked a little bit, you talked a little bit about how you coach your sales reps and sure. listening in. What are some of the things that, that you've observed, especially lately, you know, last six months, last couple of quarters uh, that are trends that are not good trends, maybe that you've heard language working its way into sure. your, your reps pitches or habits or something like that, that you've observed that, you know, you're quickly trying to coach out. The biggest, the biggest thing I, I, that I really hate, and, and this is the difference that, that experience brings. I think this is something that you'll agree with is, you know, I, I think in the beginning, a lot of reps, especially new reps have a tendency to do a product tour, right? Where they want to show you all, all the great features, but they're not really selling you anything, right? They're not yeah. <clears throat> actually connecting with what those pain points are. They're not actually diagnosing potential issues in your, your business and trying to, to help you see the investment, uh, in their product and the return that you could expect to get, right? So I see a lot of, of product tours and I think that's the thing that the craziest because I know when I, whenever we're looking at, at new SaaS platforms, right, to, to solve a problem and I jump on with a rep that wants to tell me everything about it, it's like, okay, I have very specific questions. You haven't asked yeah. me anything about my business, about, you know, how we run things to see if this will work. It's like, you know, and I think it, it does a, a big disservice uh, to the company specifically because mm -hmm. the whole reason that you're in this business is to solve a problem with your product, right? You have right. A, a product or a service that you're looking to sell. And in order to sell that service and make it become valuable, you have to be able to, to clearly communicate that value prop. And so if you're just talking the entire time instead of listening uh, which new reps have a tendency to do. It's like, hey, let me tell you everything under the sun and hopefully something that I'm going to tell you somewhere in this demo connects with something that you right. need. And you'll just like intuitively know that this is for you rather than, hey, tell me about your business. Tell me the problems that you have. Why are, why are you looking at this uh, product today? Are there certain things that you're hoping to solve uh, mm -hmm. within your business that, that led you to come to us? Things like that to understand, like let them lead the conversation and yeah. you look for opportunities to provide that value, right? And I think that's just something that comes with experience in most cases. You know, sometimes we'll definitely see that if we have people coming in from, from other industries that are just maybe new to SaaS, uh, then you'll get some, some really strong folks that have good habits. But a lot of times we're getting folks that are, are new or we're inheriting or hiring people that have been elsewhere that, that have some bad habits built in. And in that case, yeah. it's just, hey, for, forget what you, I know you did great. You, you closed some incredible volumes over here, but let's forget about a lot of, of retrain up to this point, right? Let's retract it. And let's, yeah. Yeah. No, that's a huge problem that I see also. And, and it's frankly something that I still battle with, even as long as I've been in my career, I still, everyone has that tendency to just go default to talking about their product or themselves or whatever it is and not yeah. stepping back and saying, there's a reason this call is happening. And it's not because everyone wants to hear every bell and whistle that our software has. It's, it's about, you know, some business problem that we need to figure out if there's alignment. Right. And that's, I think that's the key to solving for that is learning how to think like a business person. I talk about this a lot on my show 
how do you as a seller think of, think about things like a business person and not just a salesperson and a business person thinks about the operation, right. And, and, and the, the solution, not just, uh, you know, the solution in terms of how relative to the problem is, is what I'm getting at here. Kind of like what you said is once you understand those things and you spend more time listening than talking, uh, that, that absolutely sort of unlocks that ability to then focus the sale on how to solve the problem and not just, Hey, we have these 10 awesome features that no one else has. Hey, our competitor sucks and that's why you should go with us. So th- yeah, I think I absolutely agree. And, uh, yeah, glad to get your insights on that. I think the other big piece is too, that, you know, consumer behavior has changed so much just because of the availability of information. Right. Mm-hmm. So if you do have someone that has booked a call with you, uh, chances are they've already done research. They've already consumed several pieces of content. If your marketing team's any good, then they've already done some, you know, some self-learning or self-education around what's available or at a minimum what your product does. And if they have free trials, they may have even gone there. Right. So, you know, that's where some of those great CRMs come into place that tell you kind of the life of that lead and you can see mm-hmm. where they're at. It's amazing. I've had so many conversations with, with some of our younger sales folks and it's like, Hey, what did, did you go back through and see what they've actually looked at? I mean, you got on the call with them, how prepared were you, you know, things like that. So, I mean, there's a lot that you can do to prepare, especially in the the traditional marketing stacks that they have now. I mean, they're just so full of information and, and track things everywhere. And it's like, why not leverage that to formulate your strategy before a call? I mean, it's, it's going to, take your win rate, you know, up double digit uh, percentages just by being prepared. So same thing about looking up another company, right? Having a foundational Mm -hmm. understanding of what they do, what your client does before you ever get on the phone with them. So it's all the prep work that, you know, you're familiar with, but you know, a lot of, of new reps, especially if they're listening or trying to understand it's, it's not always a habit that they have formed the right way. How have that? You mentioned something really interesting. I'm very long on content. I think content is key to to effective selling, especially as time goes on. You know, the more we move into a world where, I think you referenced it that most buyers have already, you know, they've already gone and looked into a SaaS solution before they uh, before they ever land in the lead inbox, right? So, how did you build? You know, across the, the the several companies that you have, how did you build sort of a content engine? Uh, such that, you know, that can be used to, to generate leads and, and interest and awareness and those kind of things. I, I'm really curious. And then what, you know, yeah. follow up to that after you tell us about how you built it, what can an individual rep do to maximize content their company's creating or create their own if their company's not creating any content? Sure. And if that's another thing that I'd look for is a, a red flag, right? If you're looking at or have a job offer from a company that's not producing any content, that's that's yeah. a red flag to me because, you know, at a minimum, you need to to create uh, content for every different level of the, the buyer journey, right? So I need to have content that speaks to what the problem is. So the first one, problem aware, right? That's the first thing. So, you know, you have a prospective client become aware that there is a problem in their business, right? A lot of yeah. times, this is not something that your company has any involvement is it's something that it's a realization that they have within their day to day, right? Mm-hmm. So creating content to, to make people aware of that problem. And then from there, solution aware, what's the solution? Oh, there's software that can streamline all of this, right? Or there's a, a product or service that can solve this problem that you're having within your business. So creating content there. And then moving through to product aware. Oh, hey, this product actually solves this problem. Here's some of the great case studies we have. Here's some of the the testimonials from clients that have had success on our platform. Uh, And then going through that, 
uh, pricing aware. Obviously you have stuff around yeah. your pricing, the way that you bundle services, how you uh, charge your, you know, and a lot of people have at this point, what their competitors cost are uh, just mm -hmm. for transparency, because yeah. people are going to look it up anyways, right? As soon as right. they find out that there's a company like you, they're going to say, okay, there's probably a couple of them, right? And then they're going to mm -hmm. price shop. So, you know, then it's positioning of, of looking at, hey, the three best softwares in this category, class, industry, et cetera, are these three and how you position yourself within those articles, why it's better, things of that nature, yeah. uh, and how you kind of talk bad about your competitors on the fly with that a lot of times. Um, yeah, or what they don't do, you make sure you make sure you, you really highlight what they don't do well. Um, and then the, the last thing is, is when people are ready to buy, right? And so that's just creating all kinds of kind of bottom of a funnel conversion style content that's going to get those people, compel those people to actually take action. And so once you really understand what that buyer journey looks like and where those uh, different audiences come from, then it's just a matter of promotion. I mean, that's, that's really the biggest piece. Like you don't have to create a ton of unique and individual content. It's really easy to repurpose content for different mm -hmm. intent and different stages of the funnel and different marketing channels. So yeah. <clears throat> once you have a, a framework around that, uh, for creating and promoting that, that content, because the, the promotion of that content is twice as important as the actual creation of it. Right. Right. A lot of people are like, it's really hard to, to create good content. It's like, no, it's really hard to effectively promote good content. Good content. Yeah. Um, so you, the rule of thumb is you should always spend literally 10 times more effort promoting the content than you should creating it. Um, and so, but once you, once you have that framework in place though, um, it becomes really easy to repeat the workflows get really easy. And so you can literally become a, a content powerhouse in, in a matter yeah. of weeks and just create, create, I mean, literally like we, we create like 40 to 60 pieces of content in an hour. Wow. And it's, it's an easy thing to do, but we're so dialed in and focused on what we're doing because we've already spent the time, laid the groundwork um, and have that foundation there that, you know, anything we want to do in scale, it's, it's portable. We can pick it up, take it to another, mm -hmm. another, uh, SaaS company or, or anything like that. Right. But wow. again, all those things, they all play back into sales because if your company's creating really good content, then you're going to be driving some really good organic leads as well. Right. So those are yeah. all things that keep all the marketing metrics. I mean, it literally impacts everything. And so that's, that's the thing that people are trying to focus on now is you look at things like dark social and how that plays mm -hmm. into uh, all the things that you can't capture on social media but all of the, the relevancy it has to social selling and everything else today, right? So, I mean, it, you literally get that trickle down effect across every business function. Yeah, to your, to your comment about, you know, it's less about the creation and more about the promotion. Something, yeah. I'll, just, I'll just share what I do as an individual contributor for anyone out there who's scratching their head wondering, okay, maybe my company's not producing enough content for me to use in my prospecting. An easy way to get started is to go and look at trade publications, blogs, uh, industry-specific content, and share that with your own hot take on it. And it doesn't have to be that complicated. It's curating, you know, the Harvard Business Review is an example of one that I use a lot. Find an article in the Harvard Business Review that's relevant to your buyers, and then summarize your favorite part of the article in one or two sentences, post it on LinkedIn, tweet it, put it on Facebook if that's where your audience is, and that's it. That's curating content. You do that a couple of times, then you're going to start looking for ways to you know, to, to kind of curate content that your company's making, to create your own thought leadership. 
and then that snowball starts rolling and it's it's super powerful i mean we're yeah this is a good conversation because i think there's still not enough individual contributors maximizing content and to your earlier point too using the historicals right all of the CRMs today typically have, uh, you know, the journey of what a prospect has read and what kind of content they've downloaded from your site. If you're not using that as data points going into your first conversation with a prospect, you're missing out on an opportunity to reference something relevant to them that they obviously sought out on their own and then tie that into your value as a SaaS company, as a seller. Uh, so I think that was a really, really awesome point to make and uh, appreciate you sharing that about, about content. I think there's two other great things that just to add to that, what you were saying, and one, I know you'll agree on, and you didn't get to, to 10,000 folks on LinkedIn without doing it, but is is consistency, right? Yeah. So you, you can't just post content once or twice mm -hmm. and expect people to go. You've got to be consistent in your efforts. I think that's one big thing that often gets overlooked. Uh, if you just stay consistent, you'll see growth. Uh, the other big thing that I, I think becomes dawning to a lot of people that as you continue and as you start producing, it's like, oh gosh, like this, this takes time. This takes it work, does. right? Yeah. Uh, people have very short-term memories. Mm -hmm. So once you have created good content over the course of three months, none of your new people will have seen that content, right? Most of your old people will have forgotten it. So you yeah. can literally look back at some of the, the top posts that you had in terms of engagement or terms of views, quickly repurpose that stuff and publish it all over again. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of that stuff is, is, you know, how can I recycle this? How can I take the themes that resonate well with my audience? And how can I kind of double down on those efforts? Because people won't remember. People will just see what they, they see. They see so much. They consume so many pieces of content in a day that, you know, the good ones stand out and they, you, you'll get a little bit more attention for it. Yeah, no, that's great. I, I, and it sounds so logical hearing it and hearing, hearing you say that, but yeah, a lot of people are hesitant to do that because, oh no, I posted about that six months ago. Well, who cares? I mean, it's Not six it. months no, later, no everything's remembers. changed. No one, remembers. no one remembers. And if it was good six months ago and it got a lot of traction, it will still continue to get a lot of traction right. if it's an interesting topic. Awesome. Well, I know we're coming up here on time. I would love to just in the last sort of two minutes, any final thoughts on that, that might help some of the individual sellers out there who are in SaaS, who, who want to overachieve in SaaS sales. And then uh, after that, I want you to tell us how we can get in touch with you or, or your businesses. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the biggest thing is, is spend time on training, spend time understanding psychology. I think that there's so many people that come into sales without understanding consumer behavior, without understanding psychology, right? If you can understand why someone is looking to buy in the first place, your rates are going to go up. Mm -hmm. If you can understand what's driving those economic decisions, they go up, right? So you, you look at all the different reasons why people buy. And as soon as you learn to speak in a language that actually resonates with them, you're going to be much more successful in closing deals, right? That's, yeah. that's, that's kind of the, the soft skill side of it, right? The hard skill side, which is, is really, you know, should be common sense and should be the way that it's taught is using the tools that are available to you to actually understand as much of the picture as you can before you ever step on a call. Mm -hmm. I mean, so much of it is, is just preparation. And, and as a founder who has led sales team, you know, I, I was founder led sales for the first several years of, of my SaaS companies. And so we had scaled to a point where I really was extremely connected with uh, our ICPs. I understood the, the problems and, the, and the, the potential solutions. I understood the market really well. And that's when I started scaling out a, a sales team, right? And I've done this yeah. 
multiple times with multiple right. different companies now. Um, but, but I think that's the biggest thing is you have to take a data-driven approach. You have to look at the metrics. You have to look at the information that you have um, and you have to be prepared. You know, there's nothing worse than getting on a, a call and, and trying to tell somebody everything under the sun. I mean, you should be doing listening more than talking. You should be yeah. understanding what the problems are and you should be asking questions that actually evoke responses you know, the, the best types of responses that you're going to get are emotional responses. People that say, I'm really struggling. I'm really having a hard time with this. But yeah. being able to ask questions to actually elicit that information from them so that you have an opportunity to actually sell, right? Yeah. And then it's not selling at that point. Then it's just providing value. And you're having a conversation about, okay, here are the details of this deal we're getting ready to close versus, you know, trying to have that a conversation and make a hard sale. So yeah. I think that's it. Um, we're always hiring. We're always okay. building with us. Cool. So you can uh, get in touch with me at uh, info or hello at saspartners.io, S-A-A-S partners.io. Um, but we build a lot of great products. And if you come with bad habits, that's okay. We'll fix them. <laughs> That's awesome. I know my listeners will love to hear that. Uh, great opportunity to, to cut your teeth on the SaaS industry and learn from you know someone who's scaled lots of SaaS companies. Yeah. Patrick, it was an absolute pleasure to meet you. Thanks so much for coming on, sharing your story, sharing some of your wisdom with the, uh, the audience, the listeners here. Really appreciate it. Absolutely, Jesse. Hey, great to be here and great to, to bring a, a good message of, of how to improve your selling abilities to, uh, to your audience. So great conversation. Thanks. I've got a secret weapon for you that's going to skyrocket your sales without the unnecessary headaches that come along with using one of the big player CRM systems. That secret weapon is Close CRM. Now let's face it, we've all been there. We've used a clunky, confusing system that kind of makes you want to throw your laptop out the window. Well, fear not, Close is here to save your time, money, and sanity. Close has all of the powerful sales tools you need, minus the drama, to manage your leads, track your deals, and crush your targets effortlessly. It has calling, emailing, SMS, multi-channel sequences, and it even has meeting tracking built right in. It's easy to set up and implement. You can stop screwing around with CRMs that aren't built for you and start selling and managing customers today. You can start a free trial using the link in the show notes, special for SSP fans. 